so wait, the guy who literally is running multiple enormous companies that are trying to revolutionize and change the entire energy grid, get us to Mars in reusable rockets. He just sat down at his computer. Well, he's he's making sure that we're an interplanetary species for the survivability of the human race. But he still took some time out to just make this techno song and, and essentially troll the internet again about NFTs. Started during lockdown, needed something to do. talking to you and so from a garden shed in a box room in west london they're discussing tech and stuff on the half caucasian podcast can i tell you about an amazing thing i did go for it so i span around in the kitchen very slowly with um my iphone 12 pro max and with an app called canvas not canva that's really good for making flyers for stag parties, but Canvas, which is an app where you just sort of move your phone in a wiggly shape gradually around the room. And sometimes you move one step to the left or to the right. And then towards the end, it, it gives you like a pizza segment that you have to match up with the rest of the pizza. And then it, it plings as you close the circle. And that means you've captured the whole room and then it sends it away, and if you pay $20, someone turns that mesh of images, plus LiDAR, into a beautiful CAD drawing, CAD drawing. No way. For $20, if it was the size of your kitchen. Wait, so a, a small CAD replica, like a small CAD model? I mean... It's it's online, so oh like wait, sorry, I'm you know, thinking like, of like three D printing it. So it's like it's just you don't the have file. to like live inside it. You know, it's like you know what made me think about how big it was. Um, Is this a school for ants? No, when I did uh, when I did architecture, I I did that but without an iPhone. <laughs> As in, like literally measured out a room, all the objects in it, drew it all up, and then in the early days when three D printing was really expensive, paid a lot of money to get it three D printed as part of a project and I was just I was just in my head I was like oh well obviously you're going to 3d print your kitchen <laughs> so <laughs> but no that's that's completely not what you need to do that's a really so cool it comes tool. out in three different formats one of which works in SketchUp so then you open it in SketchUp and SketchUp on a laptop it turns out is really hard to use so then you just sort of throw your arms in the air like this I don't know how to manipulate this complex 3D object. But then you open it in SketchUp on an iPad and you can just turn off the ceiling as a layer. Just tap and it's gone. The ceiling's gone. You look into it from above. You say, oh, that's my kitchen. So I know where I could move things. I could put, I could put a washing machine over here. And then you print it out. So you, you, you then have this complex model that you've built that's beautiful, you can navigate. And then you print it out as a screenshot and you just put it to one side and you just draw all over the piece of paper. So we really want to work out what we can do to the house as part of like redecorating maybe small extension or something like to fix up things because it's never been touched. So either when all this stuff opens up and the pandemic's over, you could pop by with your phone and do the scan. Or if you're okay, maybe just could you like FedEx it to me? I can scan sure, the yeah. ground floor. Um, and a 3D model of my face. <laughs> so that you can unlock it and also my eyes <laughs> um that'd be great because that that actually sounds amazing is this don't, i mean don't you have this on android world surely you have this in um Gen samsung phone might 
she's got the new Pixel. Yeah, Google will 100% have this down with a slightly clunkier the, version. I remember when they had Tango years before anyone else. What happened to that? I remember playing with one of the um, early top secret dev devices of Tango because it wasn't, you know, it was on that, that developer release tablet before anyone else could get it. I remember trying it out and being like, this is really cool. And then it slowly got integrated into just general consumer hardware. And now it's just, I assume it's present in Jen's phone. And so I can use that, but I don't know whether the app will be there. So I need to do a bit of Googling. It's really cool though. Have you, um, have you adopted an animal recently? Um, I haven't. All I know is that you've given me a, a tip off that Wall Street Bets has been adopting apes. I noticed earlier this week and I added it to our list of things because all over Wall Street Bets is just screen grabs of people adopting different types of apes, a lot of gorillas, some chimpanzees, even some orangutans, and adopting them in the name of GameStop. So it's like GameStop have adopted this gorilla as part of their kind of in-joke about all being um, degenerates. degenerates. But the in-joke has actually meant that they've now collectively donated i think over three hundred and fifty thousand dollars in under a week to um it's a really good thing yeah to to adopt and sponsor different and that's just from one charity i, I don't know how many other charities they're adopting apes from but this is so some of the winnings made from the gamestop of, of being reinvested into helping gorillas in the wild and in captivity yeah, you kind of sense Sorry, that. not gorillas, apes. Yeah, yeah, apes including gorillas. Yeah. It's just so odd. Instantly, I already have adopted an orangutan. This was nothing to do with GameStop. <laughs> this was a Christmas present from Jen. So I feel part of the crowd. But I'm not going to post it on, on Reddit. I think that's probably a bit, a bit extreme. Is it he or she? I don't know. They send me updates. I don't think it's an individual one. I think the uh, the GameStoppers are using the Diane Fossey Gorilla Fund and basically adopting individual named gorillas and 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 either putting GME or GameStop as the uh, the name of the person who's adopted them, which is just really it's really interesting. I'd, the story's developed in such a strange, um, kind of unpredictable way. Um, I want to ask you about GameStop stock this week and what's happening with it. But um, but before I do, can I can I say something? You know, on Instagram, you can get a jumper where it's got um, a tag on it that connects you when you snag it. You somehow NFC the tag and it connects you to the sheep of which that is the wool that made the jumper of. And it's the sheep's in New Zealand and it tells you how the sheep is doing. You've seen that on Instagram, right? You, you too get pushed these ads, surely. I, I, I can't confess to use Instagram. Okay. So in that, they're basically claiming the same kind of thing, that you've got an individual sheep associated with this jumper, and it's the wool of that particular sheep that went into this jumper. The, the, the sweater itself costs in the region of £150. Hmm. Is it, it's the individual sheep? That, well, that's where I'm that tripping saying? up on both counts, right? So I'm really asking you, for the administrative overhead, maybe it's built into the cost of the sweater, but for the gorillas, Diane Foss gorillas, 
and for your particular orangutan, are you sure it's that one orangutan? I mean, you, you're already casting doubt on. Oh, my pitch. my orangutan is definitely not um, a single one. It's mm. kind of virtualized, I guess. Whereas I think the Diane Foss ones are. You get updates on that individual orang uh, individual gorilla. Yeah, great. I'm curious about this. I'll send you one. the I'll send you the sweater thing, the jumper. Yeah, I feel like it's possible at a farm level. I don't know whether per sheep level that's. Um, but who knows? You're telling me because the wool gets mixed up. Yeah, just further in the value chain. I'm, I'm guessing they bundle up all the wool from a particular farm as opposed to like separately tag it, <laughs> ship it, spin it, create yeah. a, this exact jumper. All the offcuts discarded. <laughs> we only made this one jumper from this this one sheep. I just I can't imagine that being the case. So um, who knows? What's happening with GameStop? This week... I think it's down twenty five percent. I mean, what it is down from is it's down from two seven, sort of two two eighty down to about two hundred. Yeah. So so it's still, it's still the best performing share in my portfolio. It's just the one the one joke share that I've got. Um, so it's still up, but it is down at the moment. But interesting enough, they're um they've got an earnings call on Tuesday. Which is when all of the crazy meets, you know, actual reality, which will be quite interesting. So you know, like you can buy games like through the platform, right? You, the the platform that you're you're playing on, like when you're there, sat there, in the gaming mindset, in the moment, at the point of need, you can then make a transaction. You know that you don't have to go to a shop or a website. A lot of people still uh, or, do. Or, or the poor website of a shop. A lot of people still do buy physical games. I don't know why. Maybe sentimentality, maybe, maybe for gifts. lack of storage space on the console that they're playing on. Oh, maybe, yeah. Yeah. And also the new generation, the next generation consoles, they still have variants that have the disk drive for that reason. Um, I think they're a bit cheaper. So I think physical games will still be around for a while, given that those next generation consoles are just only just entering the market, right? So my last four game purchases, two were physical and two were uh, completely done online through the Nintendo Switch marketplace. Mm. Uh, the two that were done online was Firewatch and um, the sort of murder mystery thing about the boat from 200 years ago by the same guy who did Papers, Please. I don't know that one. Um, it'll come back to me. And then the two that were actual physical cartridges, which... Uh, you know works much better for gift giving purposes mm. i think that that might be why actually was um mario kart 8 and three mario games all in a compendium so it's um super mario galaxy mario with the hats and mario from n64 uh, you haven't got the olympics one tokyo olympics no like proper mario so anyway, here's what will happen. They'll have their announcement next Tuesday. I think they'll probably announce decent figures, given they've had a lot of free advertising <laughs> through all of this. Um, there's the whole new console demand. You know, it's almost impossible to get a PlayStation 5 right now. Um, and obviously the whole gaming industry is doing pretty well during this whole lockdown. So, I mean, if they're not doing well, that would be just... I mean, it's the death of them, really. So hopefully they've got good figures that they'll announce. 
And then the question is, will they announce anything else? Like something controversial, like a stock buyback or um, maybe they'll try and raise capital given their stupid valuation, um, which will probably piss off the Wall Street bets crowd. But, you know, dilute their shares by 10% and raise $2 billion. And I think they have a pretty good runway to to plough into that all digital platform. Maybe it would still fail, but, you know, it's it's hard to bet against at that point. Um, all speculation, yeah. by the way. So I don't... It doesn't make sense, any of it. But um, first of all, the black and white video game set on a um, merchant ship from 1808 in a kind of murder, murder mystery f- format, a game that's available on the Switch, Return of the Obra Din by the same developer, Lucas Pope, as who did Papers, Please the um border check game that was fantastic but um i just you know like my question was going to be what on earth could gamestop need the money for and then you said (laughs) it's for it's for improving their online platform so the new chairman or ceo or whatever is 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 leading that whole project right to go fully commerce digital first it could flop it most likely will flop but God, if you put a lot of money behind it, it's a very difficult thing in the short term to bet against, right? Given betting against all it. the free press. I'm betting against it. I'm betting against it as a business, but not as a social movement. Well, with all the, yeah. yeah. So I, th- I think that's where it'll be interesting to see when it meets reality on Tuesday what happens. But um, Talking about setting up online e-commerce platforms, Stripe raised $600 million, uh, a $95 billion valuation, and it's now the most valuable private company in the valley yeah i mean you say from silicon valley i think it's from a town outside 20 miles outside limerick do i touch stripe with my online presence have i just inadvertently used their payments platform you definitely have yeah yeah okay on anything i think even on amazon really wow yeah so my biggest question was going to be why did stripe become so successful so quietly and so big so fast and how and um what on earth is it that they actually do (laughs) yeah so why are they so successful and Um, why have i never heard of the collinson (laughs) brothers two two irish brothers from a small town with a ruined castle in it they're incredibly smart people and they pitched to peter thiel and elon and some others uh, despite those guys having made their millions off off of paypal billions off of paypal they pitched to them at one point 10 years ago i'm going to say they said uh the fact is that it's really hard to accept online payments it's just really hard if you're a website and you want people to buy things or transact it's just really difficult and if you were the founder of paypal which uh elon and peter would have been at that point uh you would say well what about paypal it's fine so it turns out that it, it had really lots of fees, uh, lots of restrictions. It was really a lengthy setup process. If you're a developer and you want just 15 lines of code to make a checkout happen, Stripe is for you. Uh, and okay. they, they went developer first, really focusing on open documentation, uh, simple private and public keys, a simple test key and, and production key. And, you know, public forums, really good community support really clear simple to use code and uh massively scalable and really simple fee structure 
of 2.9% plus 30 cents. And then they just crushed it. And they just kept on crushing it. And now they're worth nearly 100 billion. Why are they not acquired by PayPal? So didn't PayPal at some point have a developer-friendly thing called, um, they had Braintree, called Braintree? Right? They acquired I, Braintree. I, I used to see that on on posters in Shoreditch. Yeah, they acquired Braintree, which I think does the same thing, right? If I had to guess, yeah, but it wasn't it wasn't there yet. And Stripe just had really got their shit together. Okay, but they're a payments platform focusing on developers. Yeah, and it turns out just like being able to do ACH and accept payments credit cards debit cards and and just like have a a shopping cart functionality to be able to do that stuff and to be able to do it easily without having to wade through huge amounts of documentation that was the ask everything else that tried to do that was really difficult to set up stripe made it really easy for developers and then developers just became their biggest fans and started uh, spreading it by word of mouth that's really interesting so just a quick google and i think you can use Stripe on things like Squarespace and just any web hosting platform just quite easily. So they just make payments really simple. Well, no, the other thing that y- you should know about them is that they're you never see them because they're like completely... I saw the news about... And even the news about this hasn't actually made big splash headlines. Because no one in, can explain what they are or what they do. I saw it in a random newsletter and I was like, oh my God, that's quite a headline. Googled it and was thinking, well, we should talk about this. Um, so yeah, thanks for filling me in. So delivery used them, booking.com, made, ASOS, Monzo. Monzo use Stripe. Can I so can confused. I say some fun things that they've also spun up? Go for it. They've spun up um, a publishing platform for books. I don't really completely understand that. Uh, it's because a book that they wanted to sh- share to their employees was out of circulation. But more more usefully for the payment side, they, they created a, a, like a risk engine called uh, Stripe Radar that assesses all of the, like, I'm going to say millions of transactions flowing through their platform every day or week, and then uses it to build up a proper fraud profile against the universe using AI or machine Ah. learning, whichever of those two things is the right word in this context, probably machine learning. They also have a thing called uh, Stripe Atlas, where if you're a startup or you're thinking of being a startup like you maybe you just got an idea if you want to incorporate in the us and then issue yourself some stock you can do that on stripe atlas in about 10 minutes then you'll be an incorporated company with all the right paperwork in the us and you'll you you have like actual equity that then you can issue to yourself and others and you'll be also ready to take stripe and you'll have like a merchant id and everything wow I feel like I need to do a lot more research on Stripe. It sounds like they're going to be... They're not public, though, right? No. It's all still venture capital. And they're not a consumer-recognised brand. They don't have any... Nobody goes, oh, it's okay, this checkout process won't be a nightmare because it's powered by Stripe. That's what's just remarkable. They're in completely invisible... Completely invisible. ...infrastructure for payments. Wow. Um, Speaking about, like payments what is going on with the fed <laughs> that's the worst segue ever cheers um uh, drink, thank, thanks for that, that. That's... um drinking Brewdog duopolis which is a uh, oat cream ipa i'm on punk ipa okay. the boring staple cheers cheers
So, um, I mean, the, the main news about the Fed was tied in with market reactions recently, right? When they said they're expecting around 2.4% inflation, consumer price inflation later this year. Um, which is kind of in line with what they've said, that they're going to go for an average um, average price inflation rather than try and limit it at, or keep it exactly at two. So they're keeping it quite flexible. But they think it will return back below 2.4 after 2022. Um, Why? On what basis? On um, the fact that they're the Fed and I guess... They've decided that's what they think will happen. Um, it's interesting. I think I don't know enough about like uh, the wider thinking around it, but whether it turns out to be correct or not, I don't think you can deny the fact that the whole mainstream mar- bleh, mainstream narrative has kind of shifted towards the language that's used in modern monetary theory. It's all very MMT friendly the way that they talk about um the stimulus they don't talk as much about deficits you get still get a lot of deficit talks but they're talking much more about how do they maximize um employment full employment and how do they keep inflation in check but not rigid they're being quite flexible with it so it's i don't know it's it's fascinating how that whole piece has changed quite a lot since if you think back to 2016, you had Bernie Sanders as kind of a front-running candidate in the Democratic primaries. His economic advisor was Stephanie Calton, who wrote The Deficit Myth, and her kind of her thinking is all over the whole modern monetary theory um, ideas that have crept into mainstream economics. Um, but back then, it was like such a tough pill to swallow, right? No one wanted to even face that. Wait, so Bernie's advisor was an advocate of um, the notion of deficit being a myth. Yeah, so she this doesn't feel like a Bernie kind of thing. Uh, why? I would have thought that um, Bernie Sanders, knowing nothing of his platform, I'd have thought that he'd be on the side of saying it's not okay for future generations to be lumbered with infinity debt. No, that's his. Po- that's the whole point of, of of the whole modern monetary theory thing. It it attempts to pose a different theory of how the economy runs that isn't based on future generations basically needing to pay off the debt. That and it got. will be there. A, you just don't ever need to worry about it. Um, I guess it's a different observed mechanic for the economy, right? So the whole modern monetary theory piece works on the premise that if you are a sovereign nation with your own issued currency that you start by spending your currency into existence by essentially minting it or printing it and putting it out there and that then you tax and borrow spending comes before taxes and borrowing so it's a stab model as opposed to the conventional model which is that you tax to get your you know to essentially fund your budget and then you have the borrowing and then finally the spending, which is what you are left with when you're able to actually spend. Bernie was really dubious about it in 2016. He was really sceptical, but he picked her as his economic advisor because of the ideas she had, which were much more focused on using the resources of the government and your your fiscal policy to 
maximize employment, spend on public infrastructure and on, you know, essentially if you were the equivalent of if you were a business, you're investing in your business, but if you're a country, you're investing in your country and then it pays off in the future. And the limitations in that whole concept are the risks of overheating the economy by printing too much money, which would end up with excessive inflation. And that's the the main thing that they try and combat, which is where the Fed's guidance around inflation, it, it's starting to mirror the language of MMT advocates, whereas it didn't a few years ago. Um, what's Tuesday the anniversary of? I'll give you a clue. It involves Neil Kashkari, president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis, appearing a year ago on CBS's 60 Minutes and saying, quote, there is an infinite amount of cash in the Federal Reserve. We will do whatever we need to make sure that there's enough cash in the banking system. It's true. Yes, it's true. I mean, it's, it's, it's a difficult fact to digest, I admit. And we've talked about this before, but it's, um, it's the one that if you are very much a signed money person, you look at it and you're like, oh, these are nutters. They're just printing, you know, money printing, and it's just, it's just going to end up with hyperinflation. Whereas what they're saying is... But I mean, I feel like you're making inflation out to be the worst of the ills that could come from this. I would be more concerned about things like moral hazard and the debt that we're creating for future generations. What, in what sense? Um, well, fine. Let's, let's imagine if you're the world's reserve currency forever, right? So that global order never changes. No, no incoming China, nothing like that. Let's imagine that the future debt problem is one you never have to encounter, right? Because you can just postpone that indefinitely. So put that to one side. Now, moral hazard. Money represents some kind of value. And I think just by getting up in the morning, and it used to be going into work, but, you know, doing whatever it is we do, I think we're adding value into the world, into the system, into we're somehow layering value onto things. But not an infinite amount. And the moral hazard comes in where uh, we produce an infinite amount of that thing that's called money. And then it has to, those units of fiat have to then transact their way in a series of interactions and interfaces through the economy. And uh, at those interface points, uh, there's some kind of fundamental mismatch to the ground truth because there's now so much of it. And um, I think the unmooring presents some kind of like a semiotic problem. But what you've described there is the risk of inflation, right? It's too much money chasing too few goods and you end up with price inflation, whether it's consumer prices or asset prices or, you know, real estate prices or whatever it might be. That's the the risk that the Fed tries to manage. And the counter argument to a lot of this is how do you even measure, you know, inflation? Because if you measure it wrong, well, you're really not controlling anything. You're just changing how you measure it. But, but that's what it comes down to. It, very, it actually can't easily come down to this notion of like future generations being saddled with the burden of the debt because that's still using the principle that that's how you get your money, by taxing the future generations. But you don't. like The, the whole modern monetary theory thing isn't so much a policy angle as just a observation of what really happens which is that the money is spent into existence which is why when trump and the republican gop passed massive tax cuts they did so, so through deficit spending no one argued against it because they had a strong majority and because people were very much in favor of 
massive military spending and huge tax cuts for corporations and the wealthy. It was still paid for by magicking up money, ultimately. And they do that by printing more money or issuing more treasury bonds, you know, treasury notes, which is the same thing, right? You're just issuing money that's worth $1 or you're issuing you know, money that pays out essentially a dividend, which is what the bonds are. So you're still magicking up the money. It's not that the future generations then have to somehow be taxed to pay that back. Well, at some point, countries are um, supposed to balance their books, if you take the household analogy. But um, obviously, MMT says that that's not an analogy that works. So um... only if you are, if you have your own sovereign currency. So it would be an analogy that works if you're, say, Greece, and you use the euro, and you have no control over your own, you know, money printer, then it actually is true. This is a much deeper topic. And it, you know, touches on inflation in house prices, healthcare and education, it touches on uh, the petrodollar. We're not going to talk about any of that. Because would you like to ask me who we're not being sponsored by this week? So it's our not a sponsor segment. Who are we not being paid to promote? So this week, uh, I've got a few questions for you about Octopus Energy, because I, I think that your electricity provider is Octopus. Um, this is true. Okay, well, um, for for anyone who might be thinking about swapping energy providers, um, I've got a handy referral code that will get you £50 off uh, your energy bill, your electricity bill. Um, but talk me through this uh, this cool startup called Octopus. So first of all, is it just electricity or do they do gas as well? Is it dual fuel? It's dual fuel. Although the one I'm on is dual fuel, but two different tariffs. So okay. they have more experimental tariffs on their electricity side. Sure, sure. Is it all green and renewable? It is. They say okay. it is. Anyway. Fine. What? So you're an EV driver. Correct. Outlier. So... Um, <laughs> Tell me about this weird thing that they have over at Octopus called plunge pricing. How does that work? Plunge pricing. So that was the reason we shifted. They have this thing called an agile tariff. And what that does is it essentially tracks wholesale prices every half an hour, I think. And then during peak time, so sort of like, you know, six till eight in the evening, it can go very high to sort of like 30, 40 pence per kilowatt hour, which is very high. And then in night time, sort of like past midnight really up until about 6am it plunges it can drop below zero so at some points sometimes they'll notify you and they'll say it's going to drop below zero between the hours of 2 and 4 30 and at that point you really want to have the car plugged in charging because they're essentially paying you to charge it which is just wonderful i mean so you get paid to to fill up your car with electricity when it's when it's plunge pricing, yeah. Other times it drops quite low, it drops to sort of like, you know, three to five pence per kilowatt hour, which is really good. Um, it does mean that habit-wise, I changed a few habits around the house. So setting the dishwasher on a timer, setting the even like um, washing machine on a timer so that it's ready in the morning to hang up clothes. You know, we can do that now. It's work from home life. It's really handy. But that, yeah, any major. Uh, white good appliances that just eat up electricity being able to put them on when it's super cheap is just yeah it's pretty pretty clever can't can't knock it this is phenomenal jonathan <laughs> tipper and um anyone who's interested in switching electricity provider thanks to our non-sponsor of the week can go to share.octopus.energy forward slash 
red-panda-989. So that's share.octopus.energy forward slash red-panda-989. That link will be in the show notes, by which I mean the place where all the words are written, just sort of near the podcast description. But like if you scroll down a bit, but I think you have to press more or something to be able to see where that writing is. And thank you to our non-sponsor of the week. That was a great sponsor. Let's move into the next segment. It's time for This Week in Crypto. Jonathan Tipper, This Week in Crypto. So I have a question for you. Filecoin, what's happening? Number go up. Number go up. Um, do you know why? So I think you have a better handle on this than I do. But um, I, we, we, have, we have an unresolved question. What is Filecoin? If I have a hard drive lying around, I can use it to store data for other people. I can get paid in Filecoin. And basically, you're joining up all of the world's storage, I guess, in a decentralized way, using Filecoin as the platform, the gas, the lifeblood, to sew together a large kind of hard drive for the world. Uh, is that what Filecoin is? See, in a kind of idealistic sense, yes, because if you do have a hard drive lying around, you can connect it to the Filecoin network and it will act as storage that will allow you to be paid for people using that storage. But in practice, it won't be that. In, in most cases, it will be unused corporate and institutional uh, data storage. Exactly. That gets pulled into this, that gets dragooned and, and, and drafted into this sort of auxiliary network. And that's what's really interesting about it. It's kind of taking, um, it's taken the cloud, which in reality is just a lot of data centers that are built in different parts of the world. And it's bringing it back to anyone who had like lots of leftover on-premise computing infrastructure, which is why they've managed to have 3.31 exabytes of data on their overall network storage, which is just an insane amount, actually, when you really think about it. I don't even know what that is in relation to, uh, I don't know, like a digestible fact in terms of YouTube hours or something. It's just a, a lot of data stories that they would have in the network. And yeah, I think it's more likely to be major organizations joining that network than it is you and me connecting a random NAS drive. This week it went up in value by 80, about 80, 80%, 80 or 90%. Why? Two big things that happened, and I don't know which one led to price increases maybe it's completely separate but on the one hand filecoin was added to grayscale's list of investment products along with a whole load of others including Chainlink and basic attention token and stuff which obviously gives it way more liquidity and more people have access to it especially institutional investors the other thing that seems to only be written about in filecoin's newsletter is that a leading photography service called tao pai pai in China announced that they're going to use IPFS, which is the interplanetary file system and Filecoin to store all of their data of their photographs. And I've, I've never heard of this company. Apparently they're the world's leading online to offline platform for, for photography, but who knows? And they're, they're shifting to the Filecoin solution. Uh, did you see um, a sort of rotating trophy thing that said something about with a song a kind of techno song playing in the background oh my god <laughs> uh, that was made by elon Musk. what is he doing what did he make it like did he actually make it i think he also sold another nft that was just a tweet about dogecoin but that song and it has techno music a cool animation 
he it's it's a song about NFTs that he sold as an NFT. Didn't it sell for a million? So wait, the guy who literally is running multiple enormous companies that are trying to revolutionize and change the entire energy grid get us to Mars in reusable rockets. He just sat down at his computer. Well, he's he's making sure that we're an interplanetary species for the survivability of the human race. But he still took some time out to just make this techno song and, and essentially troll the internet again about NFTs. He's hilarious. Oh, God. I was going to send you something from his, um, from his, from his Twitter. One of the tweets... Uh, is Elon, he's written, great band, too bad they broke up. It's got an image of uh, Nikolai Tesla and Thomas Edison next to each other. And over the top, he's written ACDC. That's brilliant. That's what he's up to. He, he could have easily got, uh, I think he was offered a million for his trophy spinning round. And then he, he backed out of it and said, um, he said something like, actually doesn't feel quite right selling this, will pass. Last week and a half, two weeks, last three weeks. So you, you've been talking about NFT for about five weeks. That's how it feels like to me. But then but then two weeks ago, the mainstream media started saying NFT in every other sentence for no reason. And I think it was because of the Beeple thing. Meanwhile, for about the same length of time, you've been trying to buy some grainy footage of tall people pushing a basketball through a hoop wrapped in digital silver foil uh, this is an nft from the nba and you've now you've now got one i've got one i've opened it um it's been a long time waiting and and quite frankly a very frustrating experiment because i really want to know what they would be like is it like opening a pack of pokemon cards or something who did you get like just no name players like none of my things are worth anything but that's not the point the point is They've done a really good job of the actual product. So you, I think I sent you a video of it, didn't I? You kind of, yeah, you I saw the unboxing. Up. So you basically opened it and then there was a cube. And then inside the cube, there was like a tall person running around and putting a basketball no, inside a hoop. It's, okay, you're, and then you're, it said the person's name. You're, 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 you're ruining, you're ruining all the effort they've gone to as someone who doesn't play basketball. So you open up something which, I mean, unfortunately it, it just looks like a picture of a condom and you're kind of. You're just opening it up um, and then out of that pops these this cube and each of your players then is described as a kind of it's this player and this clip and this was the game they're in and it shows you it from multiple angles and you're like oh that's a and in my case I mean they're just terrible clips you know I got I got a common clip from Bogdanovich who is the the, the rookie not the older Bogdanovich young Bogdanovich and he does a good up and under move. It's shown for multiple angles. This is basically worthless. <laughs> so worthless NFT. I could have told you that. You you get a couple more and then they get added to your collection. It's all very nicely delivered. Unfortunately, completely no value. Um, but I think the flow, which is the token that's powering these collectible, non-fungible tokens. Well, because I was going to say no. So I was going to say... I think flow is a sensible, so no one buys NFTs as a thing that would appreciate in value. I think they do, but people are also buying NFTs because um, of bragging rights or the joy of owning something. And in this case, you know, it might be, it might be that that made you buy this. I think regardless of any of that flow, 
which is the token that makes this particular NFT from the NF, uh, from the NBA work and happen. I think Flow is worth buying. I tried to buy some, but I got into all kind of KYC problems. I'll try and buy some <laughs> later on. So Flow is the platform that allows them to run this um, NFT product ultimately for the NBA. And it allows them to do it without using Ethereum and all of the crazy high Ethereum fees and all the other complications. And given that I think it's made by Dapper Labs, the same people who made CryptoKitties and are doing a lot of other sports related collectibles, you're, you're right. It's kind of like you buy the network, you don't buy the funny condom shaped digital highlights. Um, but the whole NFT thing is really, it's really frustrating because the way the media have jumped on it, everyone's missed the, the end part of NFT, which is non-fungible. And they're treating it like the whole thing, every NFT is worth loads. When in reality, the whole point of it is that a handful of them, the rare ones that are in high demand, may go for very high amounts. The rest of it will be worth nothing. It will be the junk that gets left that you're stuck with, which is I'm, I'm fully aware that the three clips that I got for $9 is worth zero. There's no way someone's going to buy those off me. They're very common clips of no-name players with rubbish highlights. I mean, it's disappointing to say the least. However, had that opened up and it had one really amazing play from Damien Lillard or Steph Curry or players that you obviously you're nodding in agreement because you know these tall people. Um, yeah, had it been those plays, it could be worth tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, which is where you get this kind of hype. Um, unfortunately, everyone's looking at it as if the whole thing is worth loads just for rubbish, which it's not. Do you want to say something about domain names? Could do. It dawned on me that we hadn't really talked about that as a form of NFT. And I think it's one that people can get a little bit better. So... But you're confusing me with this. What do you mean? So if you buy a domain name, Doug.com or something, you're probably buying that from like GoDaddy and you buy rights to that domain and you hold it for, I don't know, like 12 months or a year, two years or something, right? You, um, you're you kind of leasing it. That, in a sense, is a, a non-fungible asset, right? It's a domain name. There's lots of them, but yours is particularly valuable because it's Doug.com or whatever it is. They've now started making these on the blockchain, so essentially decentralized domain names. And there's a few out there. There's like Namecoin that started off, which was basically a domain name service running on Bitcoin. The newer ones are things like the Ethereum name service or something called Unstoppable Domains, which runs, I think, on both the Zilliqa blockchain and on Ethereum. Um, and that has the domain, the suffix, either .zil or .crypto. And so they're selling a lot of those at the moment. Um, and I think, although they're not indexed uh, or referenced as a domain name service by like your Chrome browser, they do work for a lot of crypto functions. So if I want to send you some Ethereum or something, it's probably going to be easier if you had your own um, domain name that's linked to your wallet so that I could just send it to Doug.crypto or whatever it is. And without having to key in or copy paste or scan a QR code or any of that, it's just quite easy to resolve. The same way that if I go to Twitter.com, it goes to you know, it hits the Twitter website without me having to key in a long I've idea. I've got one of these. Right? I'm Doug.stateofus.eth. 
Yeah. So that's essentially one. And you probably, I don't know, had to pay some token of something to get that. But that's right. an NFT. So, yeah. Okay. I kind of understand. Um, I, yeah. Uh, so what you're saying is um, it's not there yet, but they have started selling. So they're not really a DNS. They're not resolvable within domain name servers. So I can't visit one of these URLs that I've purchased using Zliqua. You can you can visit it using like a Chrome browser as long as you add their DNS into Chrome. They're not like mainstream browsers aren't adding those. Mainstream browsers are, are sticking to the kind of ICANN model, which is these are the trusted DNS servers that we use. Because a lot of people don't realize, right, that actually the internet runs on a fairly centralized system of DNS servers, where it's a you know nonprofit organization, which is ICANN, who control it. There's seven people with keys that control through very rigorous ceremony the updates and changes to the, you know, your baseline DNS services. This takes it all out of that. So it's now running on different blockchain services, decentralized, can't be revoked, you know, VeriSign who own the .com suffix, if they don't like your website, they can just drop it and you're just, your website disappears. You can't do that with these ones because, I mean, they, they don't have a centralized owner in that sense. They just exist on a blockchain. And if you happen to be the person who owns the key, then you have it, right? So in that sense, it's it's a very different concept and it's more advanced than what we currently have. But you're right, it's it's not there yet, I think is a good good way of summarizing it. But it will be, and when it is, it will be um I think it will it'll revolutionize how a lot of people transact and, and use the internet and crypto. Make it nice and easy, hopefully. And it would maybe fix problems with the way that the internet is architected and the concentration of power, but also vulnerability, but also security problems and propagating out updates that's tied into this kind of, uh, like you said, you know, the small number of DNSs that have a kind of a coordination problem. All right. So I have a question for you, Jonathan Tipper, and that is, do you either want to uh, revisit the fear, uncertainty and doubt associated with the stablecoin Tether or would you like to delve into the weekly, uh, ever unpopular segment known as uh, shitcoin or fake coin? I think we should go into shitcoin and fake coin. I'm going to go first. So it's time for shitcoin or fake coin, Jonathan Tipper. <laughs> so here's my first one. Um, deplorable, which is DPL. And it's um, a cryptocurrency that actually was set up by Steve Bannon. Oh, see, this feels believable. It feels and, so believable. Um, what it does, it's um, it's a protocol for um, it. It does something to do with margin trading um, for liquidity providers. It's called Deplorable. Okay, and the other one is called. Uh, DGEN, DGN, and um, that is a um, decentralized uh, protocol for degenerates, and it does um, it does margin trading with liquidity providers. 
I mean, you've really not sold the second one, I'll be honest. I don't know if that was intentional. I know that Steve Bannon is, Bannon is into his crypto, so I'm going to guess the first one is a shit coin, the deplorables, and that the second one is, in fact, a fake coin. I have some news for you. So um, no. that's incorrect. So deplorable <sighs> is not a real coin, so that is a fake coin. Uh, Steve Bannon has been talking about setting up um, something that he would call deplorable, but I don't think it's happened yet. DGN is real and it's decentralized protocol for um, margin trading with liquidity providers, DGN. You fooled me with the Bannon thing. You, you trick, that's a trick. That's not, that's not fair. Did my homework. So my turn. First one is kick token. That's kick, K-I-C-K. Um, it's a platform for launching ICOs and other products off the back of it. And they did one of those soft launch things where they dropped like 888,888 kick tokens into random wallets on Ethereum to, to start. That was their like, um, airdrop at the beginning. The second one is called punch coin. That's P U N C H. Um, it's also one of these weird ICO, IEO platform aggregator things. They did a similar thing. They dropped one, 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 one of their punch coin into random uh, wallets. Yep. Okay. So here's how it is. So punch coin is the fake one and the shit coin is kick, which is a real coin um, that I think I even have in my wallets. <laughs> so there you go. Done it. Were you, were you airdropped the useless I thing? I think I've still got them. I mean... Was I right? You're, is it that you're, way around? You're right. You're right. It is that way around. Okay, I mean, they are interchangeable. Yeah. No, I, I've got some, some kick as well. I think it was one of those... Um, you say it's randomly selected. I think they sent them to everyone they could find. Did they? Oh. Well, anyway, they're frozen. So they don't... You can't do anything with them. They just sit there as like spam. They're like spam wait, wait, mail. Can't, that you can't, can't you send them? Nope. They're frozen unless you, I don't know, do something with their random platform that does nothing so they'll forever just be there just taking up a little little bit of space anyway excellent podcast really good same Super time next week started during lockdown needed something to do they looked at each other they said hey i like talking to you and so from a garden shed in a box room in west london they're discussing tech and stuff Party. Party. Friends were 